Good morning, everybody. It's Friday morning. Good morning, everybody. If you're listening, if you're watching, welcome to Coffee Morning on a Friday. Coffee morning. How are we all? I see in the cross chat over here, you're talking about Wimbledon. Wimbledon, Fimbledon, Wimbledon, Wimbledon. What I have, right, I'm going to say it right now. I used to love Wimbledon when I was a kid. And over the years, I don't know if any of you are actual tennis aficionados, I've just found the games become more boring. You know, back in the day when you used to have personalities, you used to, sh I mean, I know there's that, is that the Australian guy who sort of smashes his right? Is there? I like the personalities. I like the naughty boys and the naughty girls and the people who shout and them. I liked it when they ran into the net. Maybe it still exists. Maybe I've just got this idea, but it just feels like it got to a point where it was just like 120 miles an hour just from baseline to baseline. It got a little bit dull, a little bit boring. Um, and I don't, I don't know, all the names just sort of blur into... I'm going to be really honest, this is not targeting any particular person at all. Um, I just find so many tennis names seem like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know when you're playing Scrabble and you put your hands in the bag and you get your seven letters right at the beginning of the game and you chuck them on your little kind of shelf, tray shelf, and they're all in a wrong order. I almost find every single tennis player's name is like looking at the seven letters of a Scrabble hand. Which make, and this is important, which makes me give up trying to say their names. Jackie Villino, you have to start watching it. Um, do I? And you get to know them, Mark. Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, do you, I feel sorry for the officials who are stood at the edge. What if a ball hits them? I love those shots where you, well, I don't love them. It's not nice for the person who gets hit. Yes, Stuart, she is. Every now and then you see footage of a ball going at like a million miles an hour and it hits a, it hits a, what are they called? Ball boy. Ball girl. Are they ball people? Is that what they are? I'm just drinking. Radioactive waste. Oh, fantastic. Morning, Faith Goodman. So, yes, yeah, so what are we going to talk about today? Hugh Edwards versus Philip Schofield. Are the two cases comparable? Feels like they are. Um, news story that landed earlier this morning, or well, uh, about half an hour ago, is that undercover police squads are going to be targeting catcalling men. What do you think about that? I saw, you know, I think we talked about this when this idea of catcalling, wolf whistling, all that kind of stuff in the street was going to become a criminal offence. We were like, how the hell are they going to, how are they going to actually enact this? So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about um, the heat wave, massive heat wave hitting Europe. Everyone in non-dramatic fashion is invoking characters from Greek myth and Dante's Inferno. So that's always good to have a, have a little chat about. Aspartame. Um, Tori, I think I saw you say, what is aspartame? 200 times sweeter than sugar. Artificial sweetener. Will it give you cancer? This is a story close to my heart because, of course, it is the sweetener in things like Diet Coke and Pepsi Max. Um, and I want to have a little chat about Jamie Foxx and his sort of curious appearances. Um, uh, the, the most draconian, strictest pub in Britain, or just a really nice place to go. Or, to quote Jonah Hill, a pub that is simply establishing clear boundaries. It's up to you whether you want to go there. Um, but first up, first up, even before Hugh Edwards and Philip Schofield's story, the, the, that story, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about Boris Johnson's mobile phone. <laughs> a Boris Johnson's mobile phone. Now, <sighs> the government need to retrieve messages from his WhatsApp, from his phone. It's the COVID inquiry. You know, you know, lots of people. I don't know why, given how it's colourful Boris's language usage is. He's very, you know, he's he's ornate. Well, he's ornate, his language is ornate, and yet it has the effect of like, um, I don't know, being hit in the face with an overweight sort of leg of lamb. Very blunt. It's sort of ornate and blunt. It's weird, isn't it? It's posh, 
but common. Anyway, this headline just made me really laugh because Whitehall officials have said they have a version of, they've managed to find a version of Boris, John's, Boris Johnson's pin uh, that they could use. What is a version of a device's pin? You either have the pin, so say your pin is, let's just, for the sake of argument, and I'm sorry if I've blown your cover, this is your, if this is your pin, change it, one, two, three, four. How do you have a version of one, two, three, four? Is it one, three, two, four? A version. Oh, me too. There is a literal explanation of this, a tech explanation. It just struck me as very odd and very funny. They are referring to the pin hash algorithm. But presumably Boris had no involvement with a pin hash algorithm. He just pumps in one, two, three, four. I just smell a rat. <laughs> Does anyone else smell a rat? I think Boris Johnson in recent photos looks like he smelt a rap. A rap? A rat. Um, his phone was used until May 2021 and likely contains WhatsApp messages relating to the ordering of coronavirus lockdowns. Um, technical experts are working to recover materials safely from the device. Do you think all of this so-called, you know, for most, for most of us ordinary folk, a pin is a pin. When you go through the absolute nightmare of transferring from one thing to another thing, uh, from one mobile to another mobile, it says, enter the pin for your other phone. This is just a pin. Let's say one, two, three, four. Don't give anything away, guys. One, two, three, four. Is this not some elaborate possible way of meaning that they can only get select messages out of the phone? Because, of course, messages don't just happen on their own, do they? Messages get sent to people. So there'll be other people getting the messages. And so the people who get the messages and maybe reply to those messages don't want to be, it to be known that they have the messages. I don't know. It's at moments like now that I wish we still had things like Spitting Image or Rory Bremner or really good satirical comedy where you could, you know, a version of a pin... I have, a, I have a different version of my phone number. What's that? It's a different phone number. Bizarre, bizarre. Come on, let's throw some light on this, guys. I mean, MeTube, you have. I, I think I kind of understand. Um, let's have a look here. Uh, what about the other people's phone? Yeah, why don't we just go into the phones of all the people who sent messages to? Surely they unlock people's phones all the time. But Bojo's is special, apparently. I think Bojo just needs to head down to that. There's a guy down on Strip High Street. He's got a tiny little counter. It's next to Nando's, and it's opposite, um, I think it's opposite TK Maxx. And he's great. He's got a sign in his window. He says, well, do it while you wait. I think Bojo needs to get on one of his Boris bikes, head down there, get it sorted. They can crack WhatsApp, Edward Bevington. Of course they can. Anyway, just remember that. Apparently, maybe we're li maybe he's living in an alternate universe. Apparently, we have different versions of our of our of our pins. Um, Miriam W. Two pins you should never use is one two three four shit or zero 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 um, all the time. But Bojo is special. Apparently, almost one thousand Gatwick Airport workers to hold eight days of strikes over the summer. Gatwick, Europe. Is it, was it Cerberus? Is that his name? C Cerberus? Heatwave, the Cerberus? Isn't it like a triple-headed Hydra or something like that? You don't want to be going to Europe now. You should have done it early. Acting the fool as ever. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, uh, one of his allies yesterday said, it's not true that Boris doesn't remember his pin number. It's just that he doesn't have 100% confidence he remembers it. Come on a minute. So it's not that he doesn't remember it. It's that he doesn't have 100% confidence he remembers it. What the fuck does that mean? Do you get that? This is like, what was that famous phrase by, um, is it Rumsf Donald Rumsfeld? There are the known knowns and then there are the unknown knowns. 
And then there are the unknown known unknowns. And then I don't know about the unknown known unknowns. I'm, I think I've forgotten my pin, but I'm not 100% certain I have forgotten it, which means I'm not 100% certain I can remember it. Does that mean he can only remember one, two, three, but he can't remember four in our hypothetical example? See what I mean? I feel like we're entering a very strange place, guys. I feel like the world has entered a very strange place. I don't know whether it's the heat. I don't know whether it's the fact that hedgehogs are now addicted to crack. I don't know why this is happening. Whether it's the fact that magpies have grown thumbs. Strange shit is happening, guys. Strange shit is happening. I bet if he had a crypto account details, he'd remember. I bet he remembers his pin for other things. You might find him at a cash point going, oh, I kind of remember my pin, but I don't kind of remember. Like I, don't, I, don't, uh, I think I remember. Anyway, just a bit of fun there. Just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a minute that all of this other stuff gets in the way. It, it, it's simply red meat because it, it isn't simply red meat. Um, going back to, yeah, more seriously, going back to the Hugh Edwards story. Um, big story today. Well, Big story, story today, uh, sort of about the fact that, um, oh, look, this interesting, interesting piece, piece here in The Independent. Um, but uh, apparently, the, uh, is it Victoria Derbyshire? She, she was conducting her own kind of internal investigation into, uh, uh, into Hugh Edwards' behaviour, by all accounts, as there are, as we said yesterday, there are all these other accusations around in improper behaviour. I just wanted to read this. This was an interesting message that someone popped under yesterday's um, coffee moaning. Um, and I think it's important to kind of to, to get this out. Uh, Susie3296, I understand your feelings about mental health. We were talking about the idea that, you know, mental... The, 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 the problem with mental health, when it's kind of thrown around something as contentious as this sort of bad behaviour is it leaves, it leaves a sour taste in the mouth, doesn't it? It leaves a sour taste in the mouth for two reasons. One, for people who are genuinely struggling with their mental health um, and uh, for whom they are going through all sorts of crises and problems or what have you. It leaves a horrible taste in your mouth because, in a way, for this problem to have happened uh, with Hugh Edwards, in a sense, he's going through his own kind of mental health crisis. And we know he's talked about struggling with depression in the past. And then the other part of it that leaves a really sort of unpleasant taste in the mouth is the feeling that it could be just being used as an excuse. And, and, and one, one has to say that. One has to say that. One, it, it felt like you couldn't say that when it was being mentioned around Philip Schofield, but it was important to say, look, yes, people can conduct inquiries and investigations and they can explore these things in a way that isn't, you know, hateful. But you can't not look into these things for fear of, mental, of, of a mental health vulnerability too much because otherwise we could all scream, mental health, you know, you just, just mental health card, isn't it? The mental health card. Anyway, I just wanted to read this from Susie3296. I understand your feelings about mental health. My fear is that it's starting to be used as an excuse for bad behaviour. I might also add that so many famous people are coming out saying they have mental health issues. Some, I mean, I think one of the reasons probably for the optics on that is because famous people are famous because they are heard in the public realm. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, I think there's an, I think that, I, I know what you mean. There's a kind of ubiquity that is oh, it's always famous. But yeah, it's heard, it's heard a lot because there's social media and because famous people are famous people. So when they say it, it gets seen and heard more, more quickly. Some do, of course, as you rightly say, and it does shine a light on the terrible disease for lack of a better word. My instinct is it seems like it's enveloping the rich and the famous. The rest of the population lacks the finances or notoriety to access the proper care they need. The poseurs seem to be sucking this Hollywood trend for all it's worth. Um, you know, I agree. I actually agree. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think this is where there is an element or an aspect of discomfort around the whole mental health thing. It's, it's tricky. It's hard. It, it makes it more difficult to pin... Sorry, I thought that was some of the door. It makes it more difficult to pin things on... You know, it makes it more difficult to just kind of deal with the facts in hand because you're having to tread so much more carefully. Um, I think there's a clear line to be drawn between not hounding someone in the press 
or not making kind of accusations that aren't kind of accusations. Uh, absolutely, CNE nails, good point. Plenty of people suffer with mental health, but they don't mess with kids. It's a classic line that our girls always say, you know, this idea that when someone does something, you know, a hurt person hurts people, but then there are thousands, millions, the vast majority of people who have been hurt in some way who don't hurt people. And so I always argue, we were talking about it actually in our uh, mental health, uh, in our Have to Stay Married podcast, everyone has their own sort of, everyone has a bottle that size of that amount of trauma. And yeah, people can start to get competitive about whose trauma is more valid or more extreme or da-da-da-da. Maybe you can have that conversation. But appropriate to every person, I think everyone is allowed their own experiences, right? So, um, but that doesn't allow you, as you rightly say, the vast majority of people have that bottle of trauma, but they don't go then and pour it all over other people and hurt them. So... Anyway, as I was saying, the BBC were conducting... Some people in the BBC are disputing whether it was an investigation. I mean, reading between the lines, I think this could be a little bit of the BBC trying to kind of save themselves from criticism a bit. Obviously, there was some discomfort amongst other members of staff at the BBC around Hugh Edwards, which in and of itself is interesting, the thought, isn't it? How was this going to present... How was this investigation going to present itself? That's what I want to know. Now we've been told there was an investigation, what was it? Was it, like, commissioned? Was it a panorama? What was it? Was it a Radio 4 bulletin? Was it going to be put on the t 10 o'clock news? I doubt it, because he was presenting it. I mean, I'm just interested to know where that investigation was happening and, and uh, you know, where was it going to be aired or talked about or whatever or, or anything like that. Um, so uh, why was the child on OnlyFans? Uh, oh, is that, is that the case? Do, do we know that for a fact? Wow. Um, so... Here we go. Um, let me just have a look at this other story. This is literally just coming in from in The Independent. The Independent's reporting, Hugh Edwards was in high spirits at lunch just before being told of shock allegations. A friend of Hugh Edwards, Andrew Billen, um, said he initially didn't believe the claims about the BBC presenter uh, because they went against everything I knew about the man. He was in high spirits um, during the meal last Thursday. Mr. Billen said that uh, Hugh Edwards was certainly not a man with a tremendous dark cloud hanging over him. Discussing the allegations, he said, personally speaking, I was incredibly shocked. It flew against everything I thought I knew about the man. I didn't believe it, partly because I didn't want to believe it. I mean, I think what he's saying that, I think he's kind of trying to say something there, like, God, this is so, you know, this guy was not... The suggestion there being, he wasn't shrouded in fear and worry. Do you know what I mean? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't experiencing... Um, I don't, think, I don't think it must be buffering your end, Erin. It's, it's kind of flowing quite quite neatly here. Um, uh, Claire McNabb, I always think that people should own their own mistakes. Yeah, and so and again, you don't know you don't know somebody. I mean, you know, and this is the other problem with mental health. Just because someone presents as a laughing, insanely happy individual all day today doesn't mean that they couldn't potentially tomorrow be in a terrible state or, whilst they're laughing, be secretly crying. Um, yeah. Yeah, all good, Jessica. Thank you. Um, Jane Bentley, would it be worth mentioning famous people are more susceptible to mental health illness due to the nature of fame? I can only imagine the responsibility of their position could be overwhelming. I, well, it, it, I think the notion of fame is just one other aspect of pressure of a different kind. Going back to this, let's go back to this bottle. So that bottle of trauma is some, like, for example, child stars. You know, everyone, you know, every other young person goes, oh, my God, you're, that must be so cool. It just must be so cool. Yeah, of course it's cool. There are all sorts of cool parts about it. But the, the, the challenges of being a child star, as you see with so many child actors and performers, is that it obviously does erode your mental health in some capacity. And... You know, those who aren't famous would probably sit there and go, well, that's a bit of a privileged problem. No, it's not. It's relative to the person. It's always relative to the person. Um, Rhonda Pochin. Mental health is not an excuse. They have to take responsibility for their actions. It was morally wrong. Totally agree. No one's disagreeing with you. We're just talking about the fact that um, mental health... Should, in fact, we're talking about the very fact, uh, wrote Rhonda. I hope you realise this. I mean, some, it's, it is odd sometimes how people pick and choose. It's interesting how when you listen to something or someone talking... I think people come into things quite often thinking that's what you're saying without actually listening. 
it's kind of my frustration with the show The Idol. It's like everyone's going, oh, shit, watch it. You haven't watched it. Um, some have, and that's fine if you hate it, but, you know, only until you've, you've kind of listened to the whole, listened to everything we're saying. And what, what I'm saying is, is that actually mental health is used as an excuse. And yet mental health is also a very real thing. And to do, it, for example, here's, here's the kind of really kind of complicated aspect of all of this. I've never understood this idea where, you know, in, in a court case, say you have someone who's killed lots of people, a serial killer, or someone who's killed lots of people, and then they go through this, this process of trying to decide whether they're clinically, you know, mentally unstable. How? Where's the question mark about how mentally unstable they are, according to a psychologist? The facts of the matter are they've just killed all of these people. Do you know what I mean? Clearly they're mentally unstable. You don't need a psychologist to tell you that because look at the results. So there has to be a mental health contingent to this, just as there has to be a mental health contingent, and there was and is a mental health contingent, to Philip Schofield's story. And I think, you know, the parallels are absolutely there. I think the, 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 I think the feeling now, actually, I have with both of these is, is that, yes, we have to respect and appreciate and identify and be mindful of the mental health conditions, not just of the two people, Hugh Edwards and Philip Schofield, but more importantly, in many regards, the so-called victims or alleged people involved with them, um, but also the, uh, you know, Schofields and Edwards's wives, families, etc. You've got to be thinking about all of them. But it mustn't stop you from being able to ask questions. And what mustn't then happen is that people dissuade you from asking questions using the mental health moniker, which is why it's stuck in the craw so much when Piers Morgan started to say, respect the mental health of Philip Schofield, when he has been on a systematic witch hunt of, of Meghan, whatever you think of her, for years, without any regard for her mental health. Do you know what I mean? I, it's, you know, you can't pick and choose it. You can't pick and choose it. And I think that's the important part of it. And it does in no way, in no way, does mental health or having a mental health condition justify behaviour? It probably explains the behaviour and then the behaviour needs to be dealt with because it's, it's disagreeable and it's not right. Um, so, yeah, the, so the Edwards story is continuing. So the BBC investigation internally is still carrying on. I think what we may well find with this is, is you know, this will pivot like the Phillips Schofield around, uh, you know, a potential abuse of power. Uh, Reese Roberts, I, th I, th I, they like to contemplate the sociopathy psychopathy that determines if those people in question who do that crime is it ever conceivable they could return to society with hurting others? If so, okay, I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sadie, see, I've got nothing. I understand why the parents were so angry. He helped wreck a young person's life, so they felt angry enough to want to do the same. Sorry, I think that's a bit of a crosstalk. Elliot Gonzalez, they're comparable, but the way in which they both came to public knowledge are different, and we still don't know the full story of both. Less so, if anything, with Philip. I agree. You know, the illegality aspect, the potential illegality aspect of both stories, the potential illegality, the potential illegality around the Hugh Edwards story was around the dissemination, creation and sending of photographs. Um, and um, the potential illegality around the uh, Scoville story was around everything that happened prior to ITV. And this, again, forever, forever and a day, is the part of the story that everyone seems to want to not talk about. Yes, if they just met at 18, it might not be to everyone's flavour, and it probably wouldn't have been, it would have been frowned upon, frowned upon by human resources. Uh, you know, 50-something presenter, 18, 19-year-old uh, employee. Um... But it's everything that was prior to that. So the, the potential illegality is prior to the ITV moment with Philip Schofield. And as you rightly say, it was around the, the dissemination of these photographs, which it appears that there has been no illegality found by the Metropolitan Police. That's not a comment on whether he has or hasn't done something right or wrong, or whether he's broken a boundary, or whether it's deeply discomforting that it's someone so young. Um, so... That, that, I think, you know, it's, it's important to kind of draw the distinctions between the two, two stories, where there are those, where there are those distinctions. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the BBC arm, the BBC News investigation will continue, or whether this is just a little bit of... Uh, my feeling on that is, 
It's the BBC trying to say, look, we are able to criticise ourselves. I think that I think that might be it. OK, guys, let me do a poll. Do you feel. Do you feel that can we effectively police catcalling? Can we do it? Is it achievable? Is it is it doable? Is it doable? Of course, there are absolutely, just going back, Helen Fatherly, there are still moral values to be considered. Absolutely. But many, as we know, let's just, let's say everything is legal that's happened with Hugh Edwards so far because the police have said it is. Okay, you can argue whether the police are being honest. One's moral compass that then kicks in on anything he's done with anyone from 17 and upwards or 18 and upwards, the moral compass shifts for everyone, doesn't it? If the person he bought the photos from was 17, the Crown Prosecution Service would be all over it by now, says Aaron Bullimore. You're absolutely right. Um, so can, let's have a look. Can we effectively police catcalling? Okay, so this is, okay, a Met Met Metropolitan Police Chief has said there is no doubt that the roving police squads that find men for catcalling will be rolled out across the capital. And I wonder, is that going to be their dedicated purpose? Are they going to be like, you know, police hounds just sent out to pick this up? Are they going to be women? Are they going to be men? Um, Chief Inspector Louise Jackson said she was in no doubt that the undercover teams that can hand out £100 penalties to those seen harassing women would soon be based across the capital. Now, the practicalities of this are one thing. The, the ease with which speeding tickets are thrown out in, in recently defined 20 mile an hour neighbourhoods is quite remarkable in, in London. So, you know, so I do think that if there was the possibility of a constant, you know, very quickly issued £100 fine for anyone being, you know, uh, misogynistic in the street, this could work. This could work. The scheme is currently underway in Redbridge with patrols every night of the week by uniformed and plainclothed officers. They've popped signs up everywhere, a little bit like in those neighbourhoods where they say, you know, car thieves operate in this area, don't leave valuables in the car. Signs are being put up in parts of uh, Redbridge that say catcalling is now an offence. Um, as part of the council's This Has to Stop campaign. Um... The chief inspector says the focus at the moment is about educating men and young males. When a woman feels uncomfortable, when she feels like she's being harassed or made to feel vulnerable, we tend to have to change our direction or change our routes or head in the opposite direction. I think this is good. I'm not homing in or targeting one particular high street, but I can think of one high street in northeast fringes of London where one walk down the street with um, someone I knew... <laughs> involved approximately eight different separate occasions of men making either tut-tut sounds or whoop-whoop sounds or just horrible comments. And imagine if you were a police officer. I mean, the problem with this is they could be handing out... I mean, they might not have enough time to do the paperwork. That's the problem. Is there going to be enough time to, to, to do the paperwork? Redbridge Council, where they've tested this, say... It's stepping up its task force after a survey of nearly 2,000 women in the borough found that 91% said they had experienced catcalling. Wow. I, th I, think it's, I think it's definitely something worth, worth fighting for, don't you? Let's have a look. What do you think, guys? Um, good chip lollipop. Many men love the idea of being objectified and don't understand it's intimidating to women. Yeah, all the more reason for them to find out that it is. <laughs> don't, you, don't you think? Good job, Lollipop. All the more reason for them to find out that it is. Um, Erin Bullimore, I don't even see Bobbies on the beat anymore. Never mind a whole damn squad. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, look at this. For God's sake, there's worse crimes than wolf whistling, though. Ah, Jane Legs. But strong argument. I, I get what you're saying. And, and it's a constant problem in London when you see something like 65 police officers all pulling over a car to have a chat with them about a tyre. And you think, hang on a minute, there's 85 fucking houses over there that have all been burgled. Get on with the proper stuff. So I can see what you're saying. But isn't the argument that a sort of low-level tapestry of male aggression towards women is what can... Or, you know, if men feel they can get away with it at that level, they'll, they'll step a little bit further, no? Is that not, is that not possibly... Isn't that the logic? 
Um, MeTube, uh, yes, there are always, but that does not mean all crimes require the same resources. Yeah, and also, I do think we need to get out of this thing. Have you noticed how whenever one, whenever a government, someone says, let's focus on this, someone goes, no, 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 we can't focus on that, we've got to focus on that. We could focus on more than one thing at the same time, right? I think. I mean, you could argue that maybe, and we won't know for, for years to come, but maybe managing catcalling this way will have a low-level effect on the next higher level of sexual harassment cases. I mean, I, I don't know how they... How can they measure this shit? How can they measure it? So I think, I think this is something that... I think this is great. I mean, look, the vast majority of you think it's unworkable. I mean, I guess if you're just down the street... I mean, I, I guess you just target high streets, right? Maybe you do it with CCTV, but then it'll be really... I mean, I suppose all sorts of people get funny about, you know, monitoring behaviour. I've never had a problem with CCTV. If you're not misbehaving, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't really get it. Um, there is wolf whistling, says Helen Fatherly, and then there is sleazy wolf whistling, not the predatory type of wolf whistling. You're right, yeah, I mean, you know, one person's wolf whistle is another person's really quite dark and disturbing. And again, it, you know, <laughs> say Bill. Hey, hey, hey. My name's Bill, I'm all right here. <laughs> Doesn't feel very offensive, but you walk past some of the people you can see in the street sometimes, and it's like a wolf whistle with a kind of slight... You know, one wolf whistle isn't the same. Do you know what I mean? News in, Reese Roberts. India about to launch Mission to the Moon. Fantastic. It's amazing all these countries have got them, you know, I mean, all of us, the West, everyone, in this sort of global sort of economic downturn, have got the money to do this. Bizarre. Okay, so undercover police. Um, Cer Cerberus, I just wanted to talk about the heat wave in Europe and just the incredibly literary... Uh, references that we have for this. I, I just love the fact that they've called it Cerberus, um, which uh, did we establish as a three-headed hydra or a three-headed dog of some form? Um, they've now called, uh, they've got a new one, first Cerberus, and the second deadly wave coming in is going to be called Charon, which is the name of the ferryman who would ferry the dead down to the underworld. Um, and so Charon, a new hot weather front called Charon is, is set to take over um, Cerberus, um, which is uh, th the three-headed hound also from, from Dante's Inferno. Um, so, you know, this is 60 degrees Celsius is hitting in some places. We've had the hottest week uh, since records began globally, not in Kent and not here, but collectively, collectively and cumulatively Across the globe, we've had the hottest week since records began. There is a sense that things are hitting a bit of a tipping point. And I think there's something that was really important. I, I heard a radio piece the other day. Lots of youngsters feel very, very dis... In, well, not disengaged. They're very engaged, but sort of disheartened. They feel so defeatist uh, about the extent to which the... Ecolog you know, and, and there was a report of the ecological disaster, if you like, is, is, is emerging. And someone said something along the lines on the radio, so I heard some experts saying that, you know, despite all of the progress, and apparently the UK is one of the world leaders, apparently we're one of the best at reducing our carbon footprint, which is great. But if you're doing it on your own, it's a bit like trying to dry yourself in a fully running shower, isn't it? With a flannel, which with a towel, you get a little bit dry and then you get wet again. But with a flannel, you stand no chance to get in all the crevices, certainly. Um, so, uh, you know... But even despite that, apparently, even with the whole global commitment to reducing the, uh, the carbon footprint, it's going up. It's going up. Um, carbon footprint is going up every year. Um, and so I think we have to start talking to our youngsters about how we're going to adapt. And this was the first time I heard a really serious conversation that was Radio 4 about how we, you know, there's trying to stop it. But rather than feeling like, oh, shit, we've missed it and we can't do that. Oh, fuck it. It's about that adaptation. Adaptation is what the order of the day is. And I think it's a word that we need to use a lot, actually, with our kids to help their mental health so they don't think it's all a, it's all a lost cause. Uh, but, yeah, so we've had Cerberus, or just the end of Cerberus. We've got Charon, 60 degrees Celsius. I mean, I remember as a kid seeing on CFAX in the 70s a sort of like something like 45 for Delhi thinking, what the hell's that? So we're, we're hitting 60. 
Diet Coke, Who, anyone here a Diet Coke junkie? Um, I was going to talk about the actor strike, but I talked about it last night in a little weekly rushes. Head over there if you want to talk about the actor strike. It's a big deal. Hollywood grinding to a halt. It's a massive deal. It's gonna, and I love this because people go oh, actors and oh, creatives, all that. Well, let's remove them all from the equation for a bit and then see what you're going to be watching. I mean, you know, you might like Dad's Army, but 85 million times you won't. Um, blast from the past. See facts. Coke, Diet Coke. Let's let's do a poll. Who drinks Diet Coke? Um, I do. Well, I don't actually. I drink Pepsi Max. Um, do you drink diet drinks? Um, it's principally in fizzy drinks, though I don't think it's only fizzy. This is about aspartame. Aspartame, someone said, what is aspartame? Aspartame is a sweetener that is 200 times sweeter than sugar, but obviously has no calories. Um, the WHO, they've been doing all sorts of kind of like analyses. Uh, the WHO, World Health Organization's, um, International Agency for Research on Cancer has classified aspartame, which is a key ingredient in um, um, Diet Coke and Pepsi Max and lots of other kind of cola drinks. Um, not all of them, though, like diet fizzy, diet ginger beer. It's not. Uh, I think it's sucralose, but I don't know if sucralose is sucralose. Does anyone know? Is sucralose the same? Um, anyway, the WHO's International Agency for Research has said that aspartame is possibly... Now, this is really important, this. Is possibly carcinogenic to humans. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? Everything is possibly carcinogenic to humans. If you go to a car park in America, there are signs saying there may be something around, almost, I mean, words to this effect, there may be something in this area that's carcinogenic, obviously covering themselves for litigation. Everything, everything is potentially carcinogenic. Obviously, if you drink full-fat Pepsi or full-fat Diet Coke, you're just dealing with sugar. Sugar is possibly carcinogenic, isn't it? And it's like, so the reason I want to pull this story is, of course, I went into a... It says they recommend that if, as long as you don't drink more than 14 cans of Diet Coke in a day, and I have to say, in the early days of getting sober, it's a kind of unwritten kind of, it's a kind of, um, you know, unwritten rule or a silent kind of, understanding that when you say, oh, you know, you're a drinking, so you go, oh, I'm drinking Diet Coke, there's a bit of a nod and a wink, and then you go, oh, you, you're a friend of Bill's, you're in the fellowship, are you sober? And I was thinking, oh, shit, when there's not a ginger beer and I want a Pepsi Max, how many can I have? And they say, well, 14, 14, don't have any more than 14. 14 is, is the Max, the Pepsi Max. Diet Coke is safe as long as you don't drink 14 cans every day. And even then, the risk becomes low. What is aspartame made from? It's a good question. What is it? Oh, it's also in um, ice cream and chewing gum. Um, does anyone know what it's actually made from? Uh, let's have a look. Let's see if I can... No, it doesn't really say. It doesn't really say. The worry with it is that it can actually affect DNA. That's a day, Lynn Sheard. That's a day. Um, but the thing that really annoys me about this... As Naomi Proverbs says, everything in moderation. How can anyone drink 14 cans of pop a day? Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. Right at the beginning of getting sober, I was drinking a hell of a lot of uh, Red Bull and everything. Um, 14 is a lot. And that's the point at which it begins to possibly become dangerous. Let's not forget, possibly carcinogenic. Um, everything's possibly carcinogenic. Burnt toast is possibly carcinogenic. Bacon. Ham. Let's not beat around the bush. Alcohol isn't possibly carcinogenic. It is carcinogenic. So before we make everyone who's leaning on a Diet Coke to get by and stay sober, hey, mum, don't panic, Mr. Mannering. Another reference to Dad's Army there, for those of you who know. Uh, and just quickly, before we get on to the, uh, the quiz, <laughs> the quiz of the week, the air we breathe, Helen Fatherly. Come on, yeah, come on then. Bottle the air and tell us it's bloody healthy. Thank you for that. Um, bizarrely, is this a draconian pub or is this or is this not a draconian pub? Is this pub, uh, is this pub simply doing, as I said earlier, what Jonah Hill does, which is just okay, pretty strict rules, but just putting it out there. You can either come in or you cannot come in. You can have a relationship with us as a as a pub or not. If you're drinking fourteen cans, someone said your biggest problem isn't aspartame. Good point, Francesca Bastos. Like it. Um, 
Uh, Joni Nikki, isn't it something that triggers ADHD tendencies too? My son has ADHD. Well, it's actually funny you should say that. I, I, I'm much more, my drink of choice now is much more diet ginger beer. Um, yeah, we don't breathe O2, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so this is a pub, uh, I think in the village that Harry Styles grew up in, a Sam Smith's pub in Cheshire, where its rules include um, a ban on mobile phones, no swearing, uh, no workwear, and we can only have well-behaved kids. Now, some parents have kept back against this, saying we have neurodiverse kids. For whatever reasons, we might not be able to control them. Are you saying we can't bring our kids in? You know, misbehaviour or what appears to be misbehaviour or, or bad behaviour in, in kids isn't always willful or bad behaviour, is it? It's, it's, it's mental health, neurodiversity, whatever you want to call it. Um, is, this too, is this too draconian? Is that, that's my line on it, Lynn Sheard. Boring. I just don't want to go there. But I'm trying to think, if I pulled up, I was driving around and we were like looking for somewhere to laugh for lunch and you saw that sign, no mobile phone. I mean, what do you think about the idea of no mobile phone in a pub? In a sense, you could argue, I mean, we, I, I, was kind of, I kind of was drawn to this idea when I think Lulu, of all people, the singer, said we should have no mobile phones in restaurants. I think that's quite a good idea. Do you know what I mean? What do you think? All Sam Smith's, oh, Louise Pritchard, all Sam Smith's pubs are like that. I quite enjoy them for these reasons. Oh, well, look at that. Our local is no under 16s. That's funny, actually. I suppose I never, I'd never, yeah, I would never really think of taking an under 16 to a pub, I guess. Equals no customers, says Jane Bentley. I don't know what you mean. My little peonies, the swearing bit I would struggle with. So would I. Fuck me. Um, well, there you go. I think it's just that. Yeah, I think Jonah Hill needs to go there and give them a list of all the all the rules that he wants to be observed when he has a drink. Leave me alone. Pour it in a small glass. Bring it to my table. Scrub my feet. All that. Don't don't allow in anyone else where it carrying a surfboard. You know all that kind of stuff. Entirely reasonable. Jamie Fox has been spotted, um, but still the Loch Ness monster has been more spotted in recent months. Um, obviously, there's all this kind of, kind of conspiracy theory around whether he has been damaged by a COVID vaccine. His family have tried to push back against that. Um, he was seen passing on a yacht, I believe, the other day. And then lots of people came out suggesting it was his double. Do you believe that? And then this story here is Jamie Foxx looks good as he returns woman's missing handbag in new sightings since medical emergency. He appears to have become a sort of, I think he, he was seen a week or so ago handing someone their lost purse. He's obviously working for the lost property office in uh, Paddington Station or something, is he? He's just suddenly handing everyone their lost property back. <laughs> curious sort of, what a curious accomplishment. Anyway, if you are not into quizzes, head off. Head off now, we're gonna do the Friday quiz, which all our lovely followers, all our loyal kind of, you know, regulars, everyone who comes here on a Friday, you love it. We're going to ask you seven questions about the news of the week, and we're going to know, we're going to find out how much you don't know, basically. We're going to find out how much you don't know, how much you do know, and if you don't know anything, you're not going to go into the weekend feeling shamefaced. You're just going to feel really embarrassed. And that's all, you know. So try and get more than zero. Uh, that's great if you do. And as I've always said, it's not the taking part that counts. It's the winning. It's only the winning. So let me just do the thing that I have to do here, which is new window, pop this up here, get that on there, and then we have this, and then I can see you. Oh, don't you find, let us know if you agree to cookies. Whenever I say, yes, I agree to cookies, I just wish someone would walk in with a, with a cookie. They never do, do they? Never fucking happens. Okay, BBC Quiz of the Week, here we go, Faith. Um, that was really funny. I just squeezed that across on our thing underneath our lives because it's our channel. It says analytics. And then it, as I squeezed down the window, it just said anal. It's a bit rude, isn't it? Jamie Foxx was hot. He is hot, Sandy. He is hot. Especially when he's handing you your purse back. How hot can it get? Hand me my purse, Jamie. If you haven't seen Django Unchained, check it out. Brilliant, brilliant Tarantino movie. Okay, here we go. Okay, so question one. You ready? Feeling good? <laughs> the normal high buzz of excitement around Formula One British Grand Prix enjoyed an added dash of Hollywood glitz as which A-lister brought production of his new film to Silverstone last week? Which A-list Hollywooder 
uh, was at Silverstone last week. And he won't be there from today because they're all on strike. Was it A, Ryan Gosling, B, Hugh Jackman, or C, Brad Pitt? I just missed my mouth. Do you ever do that? You get so keen and eager about your drink. Elliot says C, Elliot Reese says C. Um, Maria says, oh, you're all saying C, look at this. Oh, Faith Goodman, you're saying Ryan Faith. Oh, Faith. Faithy, Faithy, Faith. You're all saying Ryan. Those of you who are saying Ryan, you're saying Ryan because you're thinking Barbie, Ken. It's Brad Pitt. C. It was C. Question two. Boris and Carrie Johnson welcomed another addition to their burgeoning brood as they announced the birth of their third child, Frank. But which of these middle names was the new arrival given? So what was Frank's middle name? Um, was it A, Nicholas, B, Odysseus, or C, Winston? <laughs> we've had Cerberus, we've had Charon, and uh, Boris Johnson's um, son's middle name, newly born, is which? A, Nicholas, B, Odysseus, or C, Winston? Uh, he's trying to send photographs of his new baby to his family, but he can't remember for the life of him the PIN number on his phone. He's got a version of it somewhere, but he can't send it. Um, the answer is, good God, Odysseus. There we go. Odysseus, Frank Alfred Odysseus Johnson. Question three. The final Ford Fiesta rolled off the production line in Germany last Friday, bringing to an end almost half a century of history that's made it the UK's best-selling car. But roughly how many million Ford Fiestas were produced during its lifespan? How many million? 12 million, A. 22 million, B. Or 27 million, C. Has anyone had a snog in a Ford Fiesta? I've had a snog in cars. I can't remember what the bloody car was there. Ford Fiesta, Ford Escort. For those of you listening on um, podcast, I'm drinking Barocca. Um, God knows what additives are in that. Um, it's B, 22. Oh, lots of you not, oh, lots of you saying C. I said C, I got that wrong too. Question four. Ah, have you been listening to Coffee Moaning? A heat wave has been sweeping across parts of Southern Europe and Northwest Africa with potential record-breaking temperatures in the coming days. But after which mythological character has this heat wave been named? Is it A, Cerberus, B, Chimera, Chimera is it, or Chimera, Chimera, or C, Hephaestus? Is it A, Cerberus, B, Chimera, 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 or C, Hephaestus? Uh, I think we all know the answer to this. If you've been listening to today's, to today's Coffee Moaning, you'll know the answer to this. It's Cerberus, A. Question five. Thousands of people came together to set a record for the world's largest dance to a Tina Turner track. Oh, they look like fun as well. In tribute to the late singer. But to which of her hits were they dancing? Was it A, Nut Bush, Nut Bush City Limits, B, Proud Mary, or C, The Best? Simply the best. Mm, mm, mm. Better than all the rest. Which of those songs uh, were thousands of people, did thousands of people come together to sing for the world's largest Tina Turner dance along? Was it A, Nutbush, Nutbush, Nutbush City Limits, B, Proud Mary, or C, The Best? Um, let's have a look. Lots of you saying C, The Best. I know what you mean, I'd have said that. Uh, but Pixie Petal is saying A, nut, Nutbush. I can't say it, Nutbush. Nutbush. Grace Ann Martin is saying Nutbush. Um, it's Nutbush. Nutbush City Limits. Question six. US comedian Sarah Silverman joined a legal action by people alleging that their copyright has been infringed in the training of AI systems. This class action is being brought against chat, GPT maker, OpenAI, and which technology giant? A, Amazon. B, Meta, or C, Twitter? US comedian Sarah Silverman has joined a legal action alleging copyright infringement against which of these tech giants? A, Amazon, B, Meta, or C, Twitter? Faith Goodman, 
Faith Goodman says Meta. Matt's talk show says uh, Meta, B. Uh, MeTube says O Meta, which is B. You've said C. That's right, it's Twitter. Yeah, it's B. It's Meta. Any of you got six? Any of you got six? Before we get on to the final question, which the final question is a music question. Well, it's a music question. It's a music question. It's about a music. Oh, fuck it. Let's just get there. <laughs> Any of you got six? Uh, Clodo, you got five. That's good. Creatorholic, four. Matt's talk show, no. Fifi Chromax, zero. Well done. We're going to give you the toilet plunger of the day. You win a toilet plunger if you get zero all the way through. It's a sort of gold embossed toilet plunger. Your poo, poo is shiny. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Um, Sean Tucker, two. Jackie Taylor, five. Doing better this week, Jenny. Jay. Not dumb as a stump after all, says Edward Bevington, three. Okay, details were announced of the auction of a large collection of rare first editions and jazz memorabilia owned by the late Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. But which literary classic is expected to lead the bidding? So he's obviously got a rare first edition of one of these books that's being, uh, being auctioned. A, Hand of the Baskervilles. B, Murder at the Vicarage. Or C, The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald. Wow. So there's an auction of rare first editions once owned by or owned by Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. Which of those is expected to lead the bidding? Um, <laughs> Laurel Nichols. It's, okay. it's a nice little song, isn't it? Um, Margaret O'Brien says, uh, The Great Gatsby. I think, yeah, if you're kind of literary orientated, you probably think which of those would be the most expensive and most valuable. Lots of you saying, see, Sean Tucker, Ross Souch, Becky Fithian, Bev Hartnell. Um, Louise N is saying Hand of the Baskervilles Jenny J is saying Hand of the Baskervilles It's The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald which they're expecting to get It has an, uh, an estimated lot price of between two hundred and three hundred thousand pounds Wow Keep an eye on all those first editions hardback first editions you might have on your shelves You never know I mean, I doubt it'll ever be as big or as size Just had a missed call so just give me a sec Um Anyway, who got six out of seven? I'm, you may have lost my sound there because whenever a call comes in, that does tend to happen. Have you lost my sound? Have you lost sound? I don't know. They found a first Hobbit too. Wow, three, got three, say C. Uh, my Harry Potter hardback, six out of seven. Julie Evitts, well done, well done. Uh, the answer was The Great Gatsby. Okay, guys, well, look, have a lovely day. See, as we move into the weekend, got a very, very, very exciting uh, Curly Cooks show tomorrow with all sorts of, sorts of surprises in, in it. So can't wait to share that with you tomorrow. Have a lovely Friday, guys, and see you soon.